Welcome to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. If you had the opportunity to take God to dinner, where would you choose to go? And what would you choose for your topic of conversation? These and other questions are discussed in my conversation with Daniel Holsey. Listen as we explore some of the intersections of faith and life in our conversation about church, God, and the pandemic. Joining me today is Daniel Holsey. And Daniel, I'm looking forward to having a little conversation with you this afternoon as uh, we explore a few things. All right. Looking forward to it. Before we get started with any questions, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know that you've got two children, and uh, you and Sharon have been here for a while, uh, not very long in the church, but tell us a little bit about yourself. We have been here since 2017, I believe, is when we started coming, and uh, yes, my wife is Sharon. I, we have two small children. Well, Atticus isn't that small anymore. He's nine years old now, and Evangeline just turned five. They're... Uh, you see two sort of curly, blonde-haired blurs running around the church. That may be them. <laughs> we live out in Watkinsville. Uh, we, I've been there in Watkinsville for quite some time. Sharon grew up there. And I like reading outdoor activity. I work in the publishing industry, co-own a small publishing concern with a friend from grad school. So um, tell me a little bit about your publishing work and what you do with that. So it was kind of a... A situation where, you know, I was looking around wondering what exactly is it that I'm going to do? <laughs> and my friend, who I, I worked at a, um, a church for a minute when, when I lived in North Carolina with him, and he always had this dream of, of starting a publishing company. He's like, Daniel, let's, let's start a publishing company. And I was like, well, okay. I, I don't have anything better that I can tell you I could do other than that. So, um, Right before the pandemic, you know, we started up a uh, good timing. A, yeah, really great timing. Um, a little publishing company, just a small deal with uh, where we do mostly mo- like religious works. I mean, so like there's like Bible studies or you know theological works. We've got had about a mix, half and half between like pastors and professors doing stuff. So okay, yeah, so I, I'm doing everything from like editing to typesetting to to um the taxes when that you know <laughs> rolls around <laughs> or at least getting it getting everything ready for that so yeah that's that's uh that's sort of what I do for you know when I'm not chasing around those those two small children that, that so I've like, mentioned earlier your interest in reading then really pays off yeah because you have to read a lot in the publishing yeah. world unfortunately sometimes it's like you have to read the same thing five times or something like that oh but, I bet you know. so <laughs> it's but that is a little tough. I remember something uh, that struck me as really unusual. When you all joined, I believe you joined just a few weeks after Paul Baxley made the announcement that he was going to be resigning from here and taking a new job. It's just really unusual that people join a church once they know a pastor's leaving. Yeah, it was... We had that thought too, you know, like when <laughs> we were, we, we were pretty sure we wanted to join and then, and then, yeah, he announces that he's, he's going to be going on to his current position. And 
it, it, so it did give us like a minute pause. Yeah. But, but I mean, you, you join a church, you don't join, you know, a, a group that follows a singular personality, if that makes sense. So that does make sense. You know, it, uh, that does make sense. There so, are a lot of people these days though, that follow a personality. Yes. The, Preachers have followings these days, and yeah. you, you wonder what would happen if that preacher wasn't at that church, what would happen. But, I mean, that's I, we didn't feel like that was the case here. Well, good. Tell me a little bit about your background growing up. Uh, where was church? I'm assuming maybe you were involved in church as a child, but what was your church childhood like? Yeah. When you ask about my childhood, I think there's like this one really clear fault line in my life. So for the first 11 years of my life, my hometown is Cleveland, Georgia, which is up in the mountains, um, North Georgia. If you kind of drew a triangle between Cleveland, Cornelia, and Helen, I grew up like kind of in the, you know, somewhere in that triangle. And my family had been up there for generations. I mean, I'm like a, at least a fifth generation hillbilly, probably, oh, you wow. know, probably further back. So like, uh, no matter how long I've lived now in the Athens Oconee area, which is going on like 30 years, probably, I'm always from up there, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I, my church life up there was very much an extension of my family life. I grew up, my dad's side of the family in particular is a very close-knit group. So I went to a church that was just, you know, a mile down the road or so, maybe two, Chattahoochee Baptist Church, where my, you know, grandfather was chairman of the deacons. My dad's one of four brothers. Three of them were there. One of them had moved off to Commerce. You know, there were numerous, like, second and third cousins you know, amongst the congregation. So it was a, I mean, like, it, as I said, it was very much an extension of my family life. Now, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we were there every time the door was open, but it was pretty close. I mean, it wasn't, you know, we went to church on, you know, Sunday school service. Most of the time we went to night church too. They had a, like a night church oh, service. Yeah. You know, did VBS in the summer. You know, the children's choir, I think they had it on Sunday night back then. You know, I very much grew up the, you know, the the church kid, if you will. Like, you know, I, church was always something that we were we were at and and active in, and it was like a, it was it was actually an independent Baptist church. But like, I think when people hear those words, they, you know, the, their their mind goes places. I think sometimes that this particular church really probably wasn't, you know, at. Um, Some people's minds go to snake handling. Yeah, it, and it wasn't that um, at all, really. I mean, like, it, you know, there was always a bivocational preacher, um, and the church would often take on the, the character of the preacher that was there at that time, but they were normally only there for, like, you know, three, four years, you know, most or whatever, and, and then they would move on. So, I mean, it was never, I mean, yes, it was, it was typically a much more animated worship style, and like yeah. in, in preaching style, then I think when I when we moved down here, you know, there's a little bit of a culture shock in regarding you know like, you know, we ended up in a much more you know urbane and sedate you know congregation, <laughs> you know, like um, so it was a little bit more animated and and a lot of the sort of tropes that you'd pull out about like rural ch- church going experiences you could probably apply to that. So when I moved here at the beginning of middle school, that's when we went to a, you know, your typical you know, Southern Baptist Church with the, you know, with the, with the printed bulletin yeah, in the, the, the times which you stood up and sat down, you know, during the service and stuff like that. And, and, you know, which was kind of foreign to us at the time, you know, but, um, wow. so grew up, so I've grown up Baptist the entire time. 
I mean, I've, I've always been Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist for a lot of it, but I wasn't born Southern Baptist, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So compare First Baptist then to those experiences. How is it similar? How is it different? I would say that one thing that I think maybe makes it different, and I'm, I'm probably thinking more along the lines of, because structurally it looks, structurally it's a lot the same. I mean, like, you know, the same general congregational structure, you know, you have your staff and your body of deacons and, a, yeah. you know, a committee for everything, you know, like <laughs> all those things, like all that stuff looks very much the same. Um, and, and even the size is comparable, you know, in terms of okay. congregations. Well, not the not the first church I went to. Like when it was now, it's actually growing a good bit now, just because of changing demographics. But you know, it was it was much smaller then, you know. But it wasn't it wasn't like there was only fifteen people there. I mean, you're talking about like maybe a hundred or so. So I mean, a, a decent sized church. So those things are the same. I, I, I guess the the biggest differences I can think of just when you ask that question would be like the the, the worship style is maybe. Well, it is more liturgical, more structured, if you will. Yeah. There's more structured uh, and liturgical here. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Because I I feel like even that church that I grew up in, excuse me, the church that I moved to when I moved down to Watkinsville, I feel like they were more liturgical when I first started going than than later on in my life, if that makes sense. They, They had kind of grown less and less structured. In their service, so there's that. There's it was much more like public reading in the service. Okay, uh, like growing up, there was never any like this is when we are going to read scripture together. I mean, the scripture was definitely read by the pastor typically, like as they delivered the sermon, you know. But it wasn't it wasn't presented, you know, beforehand, you know, as a, like a public reading, if you will. Yeah, and then um, that's one difference. One thing I mean I would commend here. Now it's not something that I've never experienced before. Um, the church we went to when we were in Wake Forest, North Carolina. That's not something I mentioned earlier. Um, they were very good about this too. But First Baptists as well, like where everything in the service revolves around the point of the service. So the song selections and the and uh, it always appears that it's been really well focused on whatever the topic of whatever point we're trying to get across into in the worship yeah. service is, is served by the different elements of the service. Whereas, you know, I feel like at times, well, we're just going to sing this hymn because we like it, you know, <laughs> or this song, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause it's popular on the radio or something along those lines. Yeah. I, I think that, that that struck me as maybe not, not something that was just apples to oranges different from what I'd been to, but like something I noticed as, okay, these guys are really good at, at that. So you're in Wake Forest, North Carolina. You were in seminary. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I went to Southeastern Baptist Theological up there. So I know one answer to the question of how did you get there is just that you drove there in a car. But <laughs> how did you in your life get to seminary from your roots? So I've always I've always enjoyed studying religious thought, you know, that, that sort of wheelhouse of, like, philosophy, theology, history. Those are kind of my, I always really, really enjoyed those topics. So I, I took a, a religion class 
at UGA for an elective, I believe, first is yeah. what I did. And just there was something about it that I really, really enjoyed. And then I also picked up I, people laugh about this. I, at the UGA bookstore they used to have like and they probably still do, but like, you know, just a regular book section, like a, just a regular bookstore. And I picked up a Paul Tillich book. I don't know that anybody <laughs> else is going to know who Paul Tillich is. But <laughs> it was, uh, oh man, what is it? I think it was like Biblical Religion and the Search for Ultimate Reality or something along those lines. It was like a series of lectures he did. And, you know, I never read that much like devotional literature before. Yeah. It's just, I was always like kind of that, those like that classics kid, you know, so I never read much. Like I had read a little bit of C.S. Lewis, you yep. know, but I wasn't reading like whatever the hot new you know book was. I picked up that book and I was like, "Wow, this is really interesting." You know, I, I kind of like this, and and those you know those things kind of drove me eventually to to getting a religion major. <laughs> yeah, I mean a religion degree from the University of Georgia um, because I just really liked it and I was pretty good at it, but. <laughs> A religion degree is not that useful. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and throw that out there for anybody thinking about it. Meaningful, maybe. but Meaningful, yes. Uh, but For gainful employment, it may pose a yeah, different challenge. So I, um, I was dating Sharon at the time. I was pretty sure that she was the one for me. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, I'm a, you know, a couple years older than she is, so I'm getting out. She's still, she's, she's in nursing school at this point. And so I'm kind of adrift for a year or so, and I've I've decided I'm going to apply for grad schools. And I remember I applied to one, and I just never heard back, never heard back. And Sharon gets a job here at where she currently works now at the NICU, and that's like, that is her wheelhouse. It's like she was purpose put here on earth to be a NICU nurse. And she's getting paid well. I don't want to like... You know, and we're we're getting engaged at this point. You know, like I don't want to take her away from that. You know, yeah. To go, you know, somewhere else. You know, maybe I'll just go back and get a a useful degree. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up uh, looking at, uh, you know, what's the hot things. You know, and w- like in sort of environmental consulting and engineering and stuff like that was was hot. So I was like, I I really like the outdoors. I mentioned that earlier. Like I, I think I'm gonna go get a. I decided on a water and soil resources degree from the Warnell School over here at UGA. But as I'm doing that, that's when the Great Recession hit, you know, and it's like, you know, what used to be the hot job is yes. base was hot because construction was you know, the thing, and that went into the pits there. And so then I'm so now now I'm sitting here stuck, sort of adrift again, if you will. Yeah. And so I I told my old youth minister, who's you know still one of my best friends and a mentor of mine, you know, hey, I've look, I've got time if you want me to help you want me to help out, you know? So, like, you know, he just kind of put me to work, you know, doing all sorts of, you know, stuff just in and around the church. And that's that's when I was like, well, maybe I'll go back to plan A yeah, this religion stuff. But I, I think maybe maybe I'll try seminary first and see what happens. And, and because I was Southern Baptist and at a Southern Baptist church, man, those seminaries are a whole lot cheaper than... <laughs> it's <laughs> when, affordable. When, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you know, when you, when you have that, when you're... So, so that's how I ended up at Southeastern. Yeah, because some people may not realize that the six seminaries of Southern Baptist life, they were all the tuition was subsidized. If you went to school there from a Southern Baptist church, mm-hmm. you went tuition free. You paid for 
books and you paid matriculation fees and any room and board, those kinds of things. But as far as straight tuition, the convention yeah. covered it. It, it, cover, it, it doesn't cover it all anymore, but it, it does cover, like, I think so yeah, half. But, yeah, so, I mean, like, the, the I'm, 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 I'm a bit stingy there. You've learned something about me. That was part of that sort of thought process. So that's how I sort of ended, that's how I ended up there. And then I did end up going coming back down here to go to Emory for a year to get a THM just sort of exploring a topic if I really wanted to fool with a PhD or not. Yeah. Little test case there. Little test case, yeah. But I I ultimately decided that just probably isn't the path I want to take. Mm -hmm. So you and Sharon move there, I assume. Mm -hmm. And so she had to leave her job here? Yeah. So, I mean, and that was part of the whole, like, okay, maybe maybe we should do it because – we had a close friend here that um, had to go to Duke like twice a year. She had become really good friends with some people there at Duke, and and she said, "Hey, I have a friend that's looking at moving here. You know, would you could you hook her up with a job somehow? You know." And sure enough, like within a day, Sharon was getting an email from like the human resources department at Duke Hospital. You know, wow. hey, we can hire you in the NICU here. You know, so like it was kind of one of those things. Where it was like, well, okay, there goes that objection. <laughs> you know, in like one of those yeah. kinds of things. You know, so. yeah. One other question about your church experiences through the years. You talked earlier about the similarity and structure of the church. A little differences in worship style and, and the way the worship was put together. Theologically, how do those churches compare in your experience? I think it's changed over time, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, I don't think that these, these churches that I've been at have been the same, you know, from, when, you know, when I first started, you know, my little independent Baptist church. Yeah. I don't think it's the same as it was in the 80s as... So, I mean, I, like, that church... I wasn't old enough to recognize it, you know, as any different than anything else. But, I mean, it's pretty conservative. I mean, we read the King James Bible, you know, like those kinds of things. And it was, you know, it was God's truth, no questions asked. Now, how all that was fleshed out maybe depends. The church that that I had probably the most formative experiences, like in the middle high school and even early adult life. Yeah. As Southern Baptist churches go, it was actually a really moderate church. All of that stuff that was going on in the 1980s and 90s, it was largely shielded from. Like, the, the pastors that were there just weren't that interested okay. in those battles, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, I mean, point fact, as time moved on into the 2000s, it became a place that, you know, you could sort of hide, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I would say that, like, the the CBF in general. So I tend to think about it more in terms of like denominational differences than I do ch- actual church differences, if that makes sense. All right. Say more about that. When, when I decided that I can no longer be a Southern Baptist, it was, it wasn't that I was, I wasn't so much leaving my, the local church that I was a part of. I mean, you know, I was, but like, you know, it was more about me leaving the denomination, mainly because they just they hold a few theological opinions that I just can't. You know, I can't 
necessarily agree with, and they make a pretty big deal about that. You mm-hmm. know, so I feel like the CBF is a bit more is a good bit more open to a wider spectrum of opinions and, and beliefs theologically, if that makes sense. And I think that's true of First Baptist certainly too. So that would be to me the openness is the difference in terms of theology. Because there are people, you know, within I'm sure within this church that hold many of the same beliefs that are, you know, of a more conservative nature. But yeah. th- there's also people that, you know, are a little bit further on the more, you know, progressive side of things too. I mean, in that and I and they we coexist. So to me it's the openness that's the difference. All right. Very good. A little bit different question. What is one of your favorite Bible stories or Bible characters, and maybe those things merge? So, stories, I think because of my name, <laughs> like, <laughs> like Daniel in the Lion's Den sticks out when you ask, what's your favorite Bible story? Yeah. And I think it's because, like, you know, just from a very young age, you know, I kind of identified with that one because my name was there, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I wish I could have that kind of, you know, perseverance. So Daniel and Lions then sticks out. And in terms of stories, too, like if I think more, if I, if I go more into my more adult life, man, I just really love the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. And how it's structured. The ebbs and flows of it just really resonate with me and the things that at least I think it teaches through its structure. So, like, I guess I know that it may be cheating to say, like, an entire gospel is my favorite story. But, I mean, I do think it's a it's a nice, cohesive, structured story that I really, that I really enjoy. Well, you make a very good case that each of the gospels is a story because they do shape the story of Jesus in a particular way as a point they're trying to make. So we'll give you that. We'll let you call the whole gospel a story. Okay. I, th- I think that's fair. I didn't have opportunity to um, pick a favorite story in the Bible based on name because you don't find a Frank <laughs> in the Bible. Not a very biblical name. Yeah, I would imagine so that as a child, you do kind of gravitate towards something that you identify with. Mm-hmm. Probably did have a big impact. Yeah. Very much so. If you had the opportunity to host God for dinner and take God to dinner somewhere, where would you choose to take God for dinner? And what would you like to be as the topic of your conversation? Hmm. So I'm vacillating between whether I should take him to a good barbecue restaurant or for a good burger. Those are my two favorites. So if you go to barbecue, which barbecue place? I I like Pulaski Heights down here. I think. All right. Um, So yeah, let's go to let's go to Pulaski Heights. Pulaski Heights. So over some good Pulaski Heights barbecue, what would be the topic of your conversation you would want to have? And I'm also trying to decide like how serious of a conversation. <laughs> do, do we want to have? Like, do I really want to ask him why bad things happen to good people? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, like that's sort of the. Yeah, that's sort of the. I, I think that's the first question that pops to mind is like, man, I I, I really want to have a solution to that. 
you know, pesky problem of evil. You yes. Know? <laughs> yeah. And if, what would be your second choice? I think there's a lot of, I guess a lot of them would end up on like the sort of those big classic why ones. Like, you know, yeah. why, why create all this in the first place? Yeah. You know, I have my inclinations. What, you know, <laughs> why did you <laughs> <laughs> confirm or deny them, please? <laughs> <laughs> so would you be brave enough to put those out on the table? Probably not. You yeah. Know, I, it's kind of one of those scenes where, yeah, you can say all you want to say in the, you know, between me, you and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in that actual situation, I don't know that, that I'd, uh, that I'd be so bold. <laughs> I, you know, there's the, what is the, the line from Job, you know, gird up yourself like a yes. man because now I'll ask the questions and you'll yeah. provide the answers where God kind of interrupts the, all the questioning. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want that to happen in our pleasant dinner time conversation. No, it, I, yeah, God sort of brings a whole new meaning to getting the last word in. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic has somewhat become a marker point. Uh, it, it some of that may just be my experience, but I'm finding that that is a pretty significant marker point in our lifetime. Uh, my parents grew up in the Depression era and World War II. You know, those were very significant marker points. But I find sometimes now in conversation we're doing pre-COVID and post-COVID, which is really making that a, real, a, a pretty big marker point. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging in most all fronts in life, but there were opportunities that occurred as well. So I wonder from your perspective and your experience, what kind of discoveries do you feel like we made during the pandemic? And maybe you start with personal discoveries. What what did you discover personally out of that experience? Well, I discovered that I don't think I'll ever homeschool my children. <laughs> but um in all seriousness uh that's difficult um yeah so that did give me a bit of perspective on that i don't know that i had any epiphanies out of the blue uh, rather i had maybe suspicions confirmed if that makes sense because I mean, I think we, we discovered you don't, we don't necessarily need all the things we seem to be ping-ponging around to. I mean, and I'm speaking in terms of like a young family, I, I think is where my perspective is coming from. All you right. Know, like, That's fair. Uh, you know, I don't feel like we do a ton. We, we purposely try to keep, you know, scale it back a little bit, but like. I mean, now that, you know, that's kind of over and things are largely opened back up, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm exhausted most of the time, you know, like between soccer practices <laughs> and, and school extracurriculars and, you know, then church. And so I, I think that from, for our, from our family's point of view, like it, it's, you know, we don't, those things are nice and we'll still do them, but we don't, we don't need them. You know, we and there's there's something to because if you remember, the weather was absolutely incredible that spring. It was. It was one of the clearest, calmest, 
most beautiful springs we had had and, in and years. That was, you know, a blessing. And there's something to sort of to discovering the just the simple joy of a backyard, you know, on a sunny afternoon, you know, and just running around yeah. with your kids, perhaps. It was almost idyllic in a way. Yeah, and so I think that from our family's perspective, yeah, learning that, you know, you don't need, you know, all of those things that you're constantly ping-ponging between. But I think from maybe in a larger perspective, you know, we also learned a little bit about church. What exactly constitutes church and how can we do church? And, you know, I think we learned about, like, the how indispensable that connection is, that personal connection is, you yeah. know, like being in a room with someone. Yeah, I remember when we got to Easter and Palm Sunday that first year in 2020. Uh, we were recording worship and recording live. We were live streaming, but there was nobody in the room and how difficult that was. Mm-hmm. One year later, when we had a few people in the room, then for the next Palm Sunday, uh, it was very emotional. The contrast really settled in on just what that connection was like to be present together, worshiping. It was quite significant. Uh, anything, anything else you feel like we discovered? To me, it's that, that, that human connection one is the biggest one. I, and I think we, we talked about it in context of church, but I think it's true in the context of, of just life in general. You know, once it kind of ground on beyond the, beyond the you know, month or two of the social distancing and everything, I'm like, I totally got the science behind, you know, why we need to do these things. I, yeah. I completely understood that. But at the same time, I was like, but that's, that's not how we're built. You know, we, we are communal beings, you know, and I think, I think God created us that way. We need one another. And I think because the digital connection, while it's nice that we have those technologies, it's just not the same. A social media community is not the same as an actual in-person community. Uh, you regulate yourself in different ways when you're meeting together and stuff like that. So to me, the, the biggest lesson that I think I came out of it with was just that the vitality of, of human connection. And that applies to any number of areas, I think. I've enjoyed you sharing some of these things and talking about them. I have a few other little quick questions right. uh, for my lightning round All right. that I'd like to ask. So, first one. What was the most unusual job you've ever had? I tried, it's not that unusual, but I tried a week as one of those like telemarketer people. Did you really? Yeah. All America? uh, No, it wasn't that one. It was another one over there off of uh, Gaines School somewhere. It was kind of, it enticed me with their red and black advertisement of, you know, determine your own schedule. (laughs) I was like, well, I'll try it for a minute and is after like a day, I was like, nope, can't do that. <laughs> Where have you never been that you have always wanted to go? Hmm. There's, there's a lot of those. Um, I've traveled a decent amount, but um, particularly within the U.S., but 
think I'm going to go with the one that I think is going to be the hardest to get to. And I've always kind of, I don't want to climb Mount Everest. I just want to go to Everest Base Camp, like take the little trek you know, up to it. So I think I'll go with that one. All right. That's a good one. You mentioned technology a while ago. So one of my questions is among the changes in technology in your lifetime, which one has been the most significant? Hmm. I was reading something the other day where I'm, depending on how you calculate generations, I'm either like the oldest of the millennials or the youngest of the generation X. I mean, depending on how you want to, where you want to mark the line. And, uh, but I also heard my generation described as the last of the innocents, meaning we are the ones that can remember before the internet was pervasive in society. Mm. And so for all its good and evil, like, I, I think the internet is definitely the most consequential thing that I've seen come to fruition. Okay. Because, because the other option that I have would be like a smartphone, but I think a smartphone is kind of a corollary of, yeah. of the internet. What would be a book or a movie or a streaming show that you would recommend? Wow. See, that one's one that, like... Do you need to name one in each category? Well, I I, I think the one that I can't escape... I mean, there, there, look, there's... Go to your library, there's thousands of books. You know, that, and a lot of them are good. I guess the one that I, I've been reading, Lord of the Rings to Atticus. Yeah. And then I've watched a little bit of this Rings of Power thing on Amazon, and it's okay. But if, you, if you've never read Lord of the Rings, you should. I'll go with that one. That's the one, that, one of the ones that I'm currently in right now. So if you, if you haven't done that, you should give it a shot. Anything else you want to add? Thanks for, thanks for having me here. It's been fun. It has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Daniel shared his discovery about the value of human connection. What did you discover during the intensity of the pandemic to have important value and meaning for you? This is the FBC Athens podcast, Open to Explore, featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. Listen next week as another member joins me for conversations about church, God, the pandemic, and more.